Welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity, with your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson. On our program, we explore the flip side of every story. And when you open yourself up to both sides, you'll realize that there are life lessons, powerful tools, and so much more. Now, here is Dr. Veerdra Jackson. Hello and welcome to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. I am Dr. Veerdra Jackson, the CEO and creative behind Living Strong Consulting. And this evening, I have been waiting for this conversation for weeks when I get a chance to talk with our guest that we have on this episode, it is always one of the most enriching and insightful and supportive conversations every single time. He's one of my favorite people. And when I started the journey of beginning to train in trauma-informed approaches, He actually was one of the very first trainers that I worked with as a seasoned veteran. He gave me the space to learn, to explore, to be vulnerable, and to find my place in sharing my heart as well as sharing quality science-based approaches. And so he has mentored me into this space. And so I am excited to be able to share a conversation on the flip side of adversity with Marty Walner. He is a trauma educator and stress coach, coach with 17 years of experience. He has helped hundreds of people understand and change their stress for healthier outcomes. He focuses on mind-body strategies to change how stress is perceived, interpreted, and processed. And I know that if you have not gotten a piece of paper and a pen, grab one right now because a wealth of information is getting ready to come your way. And so I'd like to just welcome, welcome to the show, Marty. Wow, what an introduction. Thank (laughs) you so very much. I'm just so grateful to be here with you in such an important conversation. I also have been excited about this because my own stress journey um, has had me experience um, physical impacts of stress on my body, uh, as well as most recently have been having challenges with my digestive system and my gut. And so in both areas of talking about change your stress, change your life, I know that you're not only going to help me, but several other listeners at the same time. So Thank you for being willing to come on and share your story as well as the science. <laughs> Again, I'm grateful and stress certainly impacts a lot of people, all of us in one way or another. And I appreciate you sharing about your personal connection with that. And we can certainly talk more about different ways of looking at that because it's really how we perceive our stress and how we're actually dealing with and, and interpreting things that are happening to us during the day. So with that being said, what is your history with stress and anxiety? 
So I have been uh, dealing and actually struggling with stress issues since I was a child. And so growing up, I was a very active child and I had a lot of energy and moving around. So there was a lot of physical stress that was going on in terms of my growth and development, but also mentally, my thoughts. Now, in terms of how I was perceiving what was happening to me as a child, certainly um, as all of us grow and develop, we can certainly be really locked into certain things. We get into some magical thinking and maybe get off course on certain things. And unfortunately for me as a young person, um, with some of the uh, emotional challenges that I faced just in growing up, some of the simple things that kids just go through, um, I just did not know how to deal with in terms of my thought process. And so that culminated when I was a teenager, 17 years old, in terms, in, in terms of a stomach ulcer. And so actually as a young person in not being able to deal with a lot of the stress and just, again, my perception of what was happening to me, um, there certainly was some different things um, challenging things individually, but a lot of what was going on were maybe some typical growth and development things for children. And um, since it impacted me physically, I had to change my entire routine in terms of my diet and my sleep and my social routine. And as a teenager, that looked a certain way. And I just didn't really, I, I wasn't able to absorb some new lifestyle changes and some new different ways of looking at my stress and, and how my stress was interacting with me. And in the meantime, um, quite frankly, I, I most of the people around me were trying to um, encourage me to strengthen up, to kind of soldier through the stress. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't a lot of acknowledgement or attunement to what I was going through at that time, mind and body. So I got a very intense kind of uh, experience early on, and I had to change some things early on. Um, but then even growing up, going through college and as a young adult, not really being focused on understanding the mind and body connection to stress. So I'd use a lot of external things trying to deal with stress. I will say I've always been a person who likes to stay active and keep a lot of activity in my day so that I'm not left with maybe my thoughts inside my head. So while I'm staying active with very mindful activities, that can kind of counter some of that um, stressful thinking and that perception and interpretation. And so the early part of my journey as, as a young adult, um, really, and even as a child, really was one of not really understanding how to perceive, interpret, and process what was happening to me and having not a lot of tools to deal with it and not a lot of support at the time as well. As I listen to your story, it really resonates with a lot of work that I currently do with early childhood programs and home visiting programs, where we talk about not just the stress, but how you're perceiving and processing the stress. And you've said that a couple of times, and, and actually, uh, our third episode of Living Strong, the flip side of adversity, we welcomed Diane Wagenhaus from Lakeside Global Institute. And her episode really focused on navigating or your processing the narratives that you tell yourself. And so it sounds like not only do we need to uh, possibly change external situations, but also recognizing internally, mentally, how are we managing our thought life as well as the story we're telling ourselves about our experiences or what we're even thinking? 
Would you? Agree? And that voice, in, yes, and that voice inside of our head, as you're describing that story that we're telling ourselves, can actually exacerbate the stress. We can actually bring our stress up, escalate our emotions just by those thoughts and that, again, that story that we're telling ourselves. So, yes, that is really where it begins to really empower ourselves, each individual, to change that story. What ways can we change that story and really understand and perceive what's happening to us, all of our experiences, but especially, specifically the stressful ones in a whole different way? So tell me, how did you actually begin to understand stress differently? Well, I actually had a conversation with a nutritionist, and um, I started with understanding that um, we do, we all have, we can stand in our power to impact our brains and bodies and the mind-body. And the, and the more I got into the mind-body connection and realizing that we can actually do some things to change our thoughts, we can certainly do lots of things to impact uh, how our body responds in terms of nutrition and sleep and exercise. And so just the, my first switch and my first flip was just understanding that I could be in control that I could actually do some things and be intentional and purposeful with my daily routine, some of the small things I was doing, some of the more simple fundamental things, and it all could impact me in a healthy way. And so the more intentional, more focused, and I would start out with little ways of changing my diet or doing more exercise or even just looking at a situation differently, reframing and using some other tools and started to see some results and really started to see some of the impact of uh, just staying in control of thinking patterns and emotional response and also behavioral patterns. You used a phrase just now, uh, reframing. Can you unpack that a little bit more for those who may not know what reframing is or how it works? Well, a lot of times when an individual looks at a situation, a lot of thoughts and beliefs come right, right into play. And we, we, we tend to uh, fit situations, people, relationships, certainly any type of experience into, some, into structures that our brains are already comfortable with. And so we have thinking patterns and we have certainly the wiring. If we actually went into the human brain, we would see neural pathways and wiring that actually um, projects some of our thoughts and values and maybe even memories onto certain situations. And so we may get into a typical situation that might we may have already have some level of a belief system that should be a stressful situation. And if we can just slow that down a bit and really question what's going on and try to change some of those thinking patterns, maybe in a situation, you know, find something positive about it and focus on the positive regard, or uh, maybe uh, there are ways of just re-looking at and so uh, the situation. And so in referring to reframe, almost like a physical frame on a picture, if we can change the way we are interpreting it and our belief system, our value system around a situation, and make some changes, just simple changes, we can actually look at that situation, perceive that situation different. And then if we think about the situation differently, amazingly enough, our bodies will respond differently. So once we start to think differently about a situation, a circumstance, or any experience, our bodies then respond after our mind changes the way that we perceive that. You know, that is so powerful. And it actually resonates with me because most recently, and I know we're going to jump into talking about the gut and all of that a little bit later on in the show, but as you were just talking about reframings, I've had to 
actually do that for myself most recently and had to begin to really think about why I was craving a particular thing. So I'm trying to pay more attention to my gut and uh, I have a celiac disease and as well as I've been struggling with different things that I've been eating. And so I've been trying to work on uh, resetting. And so that's really a reducing sugar and sugary substances uh, so that I can just have uh, more energy as well as watching my body change. And I recently, over the past two weeks, had to identify that when I'm stressed out, I have been equating being stressed out to having um, sugary hot drinks. And as I began to think about when I'm stressed out, the first thing I tend to go to is some type of coffee that has a lots of latte and sugar and flavoring. And in my mind, I was calling that self-care. And when I began to commit to reducing uh, my sugar intake, I began to think about why am I why am I calling that self-care when it actually isn't? It actually is adding to my sluggish response, it's adding to the pains in my body. And I literally this week, because every time my schedule is crazy, I revert back to what I used to think, well, you deserve <laughs> that hot latte or that mocha, blah, blah, blah. You deserve that. And that was the story I was operating from. And I earlier this week, I literally sat in my car as I was stressed out saying, you know what, you go get it. And I paused and I said to myself, you are no longer bound to that drink, that you have the ability to use something else to help you feel grounded, that you don't actually need that drink. It's not self-care. And I had to pause and really actually say that out loud and release myself from that drink. And I literally have begun to see how my body is changing and how I am showing up in healthier ways. But I had to reframe what I was even calling self-care. And so I'm thinking, uh, I appreciate you sharing that story. I'm thinking that there's a brain connection between mm -hmm. stress and what came after stress and our brains get in those habits of making those connections. And you empowered yourself to be able to slow that down, question the belief. And then it's not, it's, it's challenging. It can be a process, yes. maybe not even mm -hmm. one and done because sometimes we slide back, but to really understand that there's a connection in your brain and you were very intentional and purposeful to really try to do something to try to change that, disrupt that connection. And again, what that looks like for different people and what they're connected for uh, may take a little bit more of an effort or less of an effort. It's different in each situation, but really understand that we can be empowered to do something differently. I appreciate that word of empowered and feeling and standing in your power and recognizing that we don't have to sit um, and allow our emotions to get into the driver's seat and kind of take us all over town. Uh, and so when we get ready to come back 
from this next break, we will continue to unpack and, and I want to be able to hear kind of how your understanding of perception of stress has impacted and affecting um, your health as well as giving advice to others so that they begin to understand how that uh, our stress and how our perception of that stress is actually creating a narrative that we don't have to live under. So when we come back from our break, we are going to continue to explore this conversation with Marty Walner, a seasoned veteran in not only trauma-informed approaches, but also a stress coach. But what I'd love for you to be able to do is to continue to stay connected to Living Strong Consulting and the work that we do. We pride ourselves in being able to provide relational coaching and support in the work with all of our clients. So if you haven't checked out our website yet, do that. We are at www.livingstrongllc.com. And we have a wealth of resources and supports, one of which is our monthly growth webinars. They are free and they come to you. And so they are intentional. We have been unpacking for the entire 2021 year, the ability to look at and create a growth plan. I hope that you will log in and join our growth crew. Check out our website as well as this commercial. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life is now in session. Are you present? We don't get a dress rehearsal in life. So why not grab every moment you can to grow? Join me every first Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific for our live webinars. We're creating a growth plan and unpacking the 15 invaluable laws of growth by John Maxwell. Instead of waiting for growth to just happen by accident, let's get intentional about creating a growth plan for you. Let's do it together. Log in to www.livingstrongllc.com and grab your spot for First Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 Pacific. And let's grow together. It's your time. This is Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with Dr. Veerdra Jackson. To reach the live show today, call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at livingstrongllc.com. Now, back to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. 
welcome back. If you're just logging in, I'm going to, again, encourage you to grab paper and pen. I am talking with one of my favorite people, Marty Walner. He is a trauma trainer as well as a stress coach, and he is unpacking that relationship between change your stress, change your life, and diving deep into that connection between your perception of stress and how that creates a response in your body. And so we were just talking about how someone's perception of stress can impact or actually affect them overall. Can you continue that conversation uh, for us, Marty? Well, they've actually done a lot of research around this and they've they've done um, some studies that have actually taken and, and queried people about their their perception of their experiences and then had them rate on a how stressful were these were these experiences and it, as it turns out there's strong evidence that suggests that the what how people believe about the, what they believe about their stress and how intense the stress may be actually correlates to their health issues and so things like heart rate things like our blood flow and and things inside our body that is impacted by us feeling stress, if we perceive it differently, our body reacts differently to it. And so um, our stress response system, which can be activated when we feel stressed, which then will release neurochemicals and put us into a survival part of our brain and have our bodies react in certain ways, that stress response system may not be activated as much if we're perceiving interpreting and processing what's happening to us in a much different way. So a lot of stress starts with our thinking patterns and then the body follows with how it reacts to that. There's an element that I know we talked a lot about when we were trained together and how stress and uh, our experiences can actually create a wiring in our system and our brain and we can become or connected to that hard wiring. Can you talk a little bit about that? And so the way we perceive what's happening to us actually causes activity in our brains. And so the parts of our brains that are reacting to what's happening, we may be just react coming through a reaction and just having some sort of um, reactive response. We may get very emotional or maybe we think about some things. So different parts of our brain are going to react the way we're taking in and perceiving our experience. And, and those perceptions, those thought patterns actually create connections and neural pathways. And it also is based on our social support, our relationships as well. And so it's, it's, it's kind of a mixture of a lot of different factors that come into play, but it starts out with the thinking patterns and how we're processing the information, which part of our brain is activated. And then there are memories that are stored based around the experiences that we have. So all of that is impacted again by the way we're perceiving what's happening to us. So can you tell us, I know that you have developed um, this whole platform around brain strength, as well as your anger um, tool, uh, toolbox or toolkit. Can you tell us what are some tools that listeners could begin to use that changes their stress? 
Well, certainly we, and when we talk about gut health and our gut brain, we actually have a second brain going on in our guts. Um, it's actually called the enteric nervous system. Um, but there's a lot of thinking and processing of our emotions that go on in our guts. So a lot of my change of my stress not only was in terms of how I was perceiving, doing things like reframing and positive self-talk, but also being focused on what was going on in my body and understanding it's a two-way street. It's very bi-directional. So what was happening in my stress was impacting how my gut felt in terms of stomach reactions. And so we go back to my particular story, and I dealt with for many years stomach issues and all sorts of different ways of, of addressing my stomach issues in terms of changing diet, over-the-counter stuff. There was all sorts of things. But once I was actually able to realize that there's a second brain there and I can nurture that and feed that and do things to be able to nurture that, that was was a huge change and actually changed the chemistry of my body. And so a lot of our experiences, especially emotional experiences, even traumatic experiences, live in our central nervous system. And so the central nervous system connects both of our brains, both of the brain in our head and also the brain in our stomach. And so the stress is going to impact that. And that research study um, indicates that for people that do believe stress is a very negative thing and are impacted by that, um, their, their digestive system is, is, is impacted. And so they've actually connected a lot of significant things like IBS and different constipation, diarrhea, really some, some very intense stomach issues with how we feel and our, and our moods and the stress that we feel. So again, it's a two-way street. So the tools that I would first suggest is to really focus on gut health for an individual, because if we can change our guts, we can certainly change then our moods and our stress. So it starts with thinking, but also down here in our gut as well. And so what does that look like changing your gut? Like what does gut health, how does that connect to everything else? So if we slow this down, we have to be kind to ourselves because we live in a, in a society where we like to eat a lot and we pick up food and there's all sorts of things that we're not perhaps some people aren't as intentional with understanding the process of eating and, and food and how the body absorbs food and elimination and there's all sorts of things that go through that process that we can control. And so, for instance, I, one thing that I was always um, something that I wanted to try to do better is I tend to uh, not always sit down when I eat. And so I tend to pick up stuff and walk around and chew, even when I'm cooking or doing something in the kitchen or around, I'll be, I'll be chewing and munching. That's impacting my gut health. From the moment we start to chew and the, how we break down the food, the nutritionist told me that the healthiest way is to chew until food is liquefied before we actually swallow it. A lot of times we chew, half chew, and then we swallow the food too soon. And the way that that's now being processed by the body is going against our gut health. And that those types of change of behaviors can actually impact moods. And so for me, I had to really slow things down just to stop myself and sit down when I ate. Mm -hmm. For me, I was walking around a lot eating and drinking. Now I sit down. I almost look at it because I'm so focused on my gut health as self-care. As now it's my time mm -hmm. to feed my body and nurture my body. It's not my time to multitask while I'm eating and do something else. And so just the chewing, amazingly enough, and how we actually intake food, the, 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 the um, intensity, the speed of food, how much we chew, and then, of course, the foods that we're eating as well. But also then, 
how to process the food. So, you know, in terms of what I do right after I eat, I want to keep moving. I want to do some exercise. I realize that I don't want to necessarily have that, that food just sit in my body. And so there's ways I can help my body process and pull out the nutrients. Um, but changing my diet really, um, you mentioned um, intake of sugar, uh, uh, a, certainly gluten is a big deal, carbohydrates, uh, we can go through a lot of the probably traditionally healthy things, but there are st- strong research that can connect the intake of sugar, all sweeteners actually, not just sugar, but any sweetener can actually impact stress and moods. And so just my sweeteners changed. I started doing not, no sweeteners um, in terms of what I was eating, a lot of probiotics and prebiotics. So you're talking about fruits um, and a lot of um, fiber and uh, fermented foods. Um, I got into things like um, some really interesting things like uh, different types of yogurt. Um, there are different types of yogurt with cultures. And so really being, being intentional about what the food that we're intaking, how we're chewing our food, how we're intaking it, what we're doing after we eat to get our bodies to be able to process that. And then hopefully being able to get the food out and elimination, we have healthy habits with that as well. So from start to finish, we can actually impact all pieces of the eating and consuming process to focus on our gut health. Wow. As I listen to how you began and the fast-paced, never-stop culture that we live in, I think about just as you shared, what about sitting down and eating your food? Or for those who are listening, stop eating your food at your desk while you're trying to answer emails and shove something or eating in the car while you're trying to fight the traffic and you're grabbing something to eat, actually creating space as reframing. I've I've actually been working really um, intentionally around how I'm using the words self-care And that it's not just about whether or not you went to the spa, but are you actually paying attention to the care of yourself and thinking about how am I being intentional with the care that I give myself so that I can continue to give out of myself to other people. But that's going to require paying more attention And I know we joked in preparation for this conversation that we're both morning people, (laughs) getting up nice and early in the morning. And something I've noticed as I have continued to reduce the sugar in my diet, I actually have noticed that I'm more alert. I'm able to focus better. I actually, my running experience in the morning has been better. And as I have, uh, I'm getting older now, I'm a grandmother now, I actually have noticed pain in my joints have has almost disappeared in the, it's been almost about, I want to say three weeks or almost a month 
that I've really paid attention to the reduction of sugar in the foods, the selection of foods, really eliminating those empty carbs and paying more attention. And with celiac, I had to get rid of the gluten and really become more disciplined with that. But I, I literally have experienced a ripple effect, even though many people say, aren't you exhausted getting up at four or five o'clock in the morning to run? When actually it has helped me be even more focused during my day. What have you noticed in the changes in your body as you've made these adjustments? I have to say it's very powerful and I, I have similar uh, feelings in terms of um, I changed my diet pretty radically in, in a 30-day period and saw mood changes. Like you said, body aches, just my moods, the way I was reacting to situations. Um, I, it, just, it, it just was a change. I could, I could feel the change just by taking out some of these, some of these pieces of, of what I used to eat. And I, I feel like it, it made me even more focused as I was feeling that and, and feeling some of the benefits of the change. In the beginning, it didn't happen so as quickly, but after 30 days, which is relatively a short period of time, um, again, I was sharper. Like what you mentioned, being up um, early in the day, I was. There were certain periods of day where I would feel a little lower and need to do something different and move around a little bit. Well, they would actually move during the day where I'd be like five, six o'clock. I'm like, my goodness, I've been moving. I've been in the flow state of my brain. I'm really focused and. I'm wondering what that's about, and I'm realizing that it's my diet that's really that's really impacting that. But I also appreciate you sharing how accountable you are in terms of your own routine and and really being attuned to who you are, because that's a challenge for a lot of people. A lot of people that I help with this and their journey of changing their stress, what you know, it, it can be tough to say, how do you eat your food? You know, what's your what's your eating routine look like? And and to really hold people accountable for can you sit down and eat and and can you through this. And that can be, you know, sometimes people, they, they hear what you're saying, but to change habits and to really be during the day to think that that's not so bad and to really make connections between what I'm doing changing here and how I feel at three o'clock this afternoon, you know, those connections, sometimes that's a journey for people, that, that level of accountability. So I think that's a big piece as well, that people have to be willing to kind of slow things down. And if you're going to change your stress, we're going to start from the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you go to bed at night and figure out what part of that routine we can change. And that can be a little challenging for people. And, you know, as we talk about um, strategy, so uh, Jeanette Sly says, she asks, can you provide strategies for trying to stop drinking sugary drinks? I've seemed to have tried everything. I really like my sugar. And I know we jokingly, I follow Jeanette on social media and she has talked about wanting her soda and trying to stay away from it. With a couple of minutes before we go into break, are there any strategies or thoughts around trying to curb that that you can share? Well, the body does become addicted in certain, some people's situations. The body becomes, if not addiction, maybe a little bit of a strong word, but it really gets connected to certain types of intakes of food. And to be able to change that, many times it has to be replaced with something else. So certainly there's things with natural sugar in it, like fruits, and there's some things without added sugar. So a lot of times it's really looking at 
what has perhaps natural sugar, but no added sugar. Now, drinks and sugary drinks are not going to fall into that category, but there, there are some things that we can focus on that might still be able to uh, meet the need of our sweetness, but also not have that added sugar that may, that may be impacting our stress. That's so powerful, Marty. That also has been something that uh, Crystal Mance, who is my accountability partner in this reset journey, she stressed that with me very early on to not just take things away and not have a replacement because then my mind constantly thought about what I couldn't have instead of shifting, going back to your word, reframing, I had to reframe my thought around what I can have. And so it's identifying what can I replace that sugary drink with or that <laughs> that hot, hot mocha latte la la thing. What can I have? It has been really powerful for my journey in focusing, shifting my focus from you can't have this to I get to have this and begin to form a language around that. So we're getting ready to take another break. And I'd love for you as we get ready to go into this break, tell people how they can find you as well as follow you. You can find me at the healthyangertoolbox.com. We offer a lot of tools in terms of understanding emotional regulation and, and, and really changing the story you're telling yourself and really empowering to change thought processes and, and understanding how the mind and body impacts how we feel in our moods. That is, uh, I want us, when we come back from our break, I want us to dive a little bit more into the gut health conversation and strategies and different diet, uh, more information about that. But I also want to go back to what you just shared. What is healthy anger? <laughs> so if you want to understand what that is, stay tuned, stay connected to the conversation and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life is now in session. Are you present? We don't get a dress rehearsal in life. So why not grab every moment you can to grow. Join me every first Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific for our live webinars. We're creating a growth plan and unpacking the 15 invaluable laws of growth by John Maxwell. Instead of waiting for growth to just happen by accident, let's get intentional about creating a growth plan for you. Let's do it together. Log in to www.livingstrongllc.com and grab your spot for first Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 Pacific. And let's grow together. It's your time. This is Living Strong, the flip side of adversity with Dr. Veerdra Jackson. 
To reach the live show today, call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at livingstrongllc.com. Now, back to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. I have been having a powerful, insightful, and valuable conversation with Marty Wallner. He is a trauma trainer as well as a stress coach. And before we unpack healthy anger, because I'm curious about that, we did have one of our listeners ask, Marty, can you explain how your health is connected to why you may be stressed? Like maybe your body is off causing you to respond to situations in ways you didn't intend or ways you couldn't explain, like maybe lacking rest and how that affects our mood. That's from Bertina Pelzer. Well, certainly, again, stress is going to impact first our central nervous system. So that's the way we react to everything in life. So we could be very agitated, you know, have a very short fuse in situations, become somewhat anxious or angry, all these emotions, sad. There's all sorts of different emotions that we may be triggered into or move into based on the stress that we're feeling. So we call it dysregulation. So a dysregulated central nervous system is going to cause stress and stress is going to cause a dysregulated central nervous system. So again, it is bi-directional which can present its own challenges. It's the kind of the chicken or the egg type of conversation. So the idea is to be very intentional about changing stress so that we can be calmer and be more connected and feel safer in situations because that's how our central nervous system is reacting when it feels stress. We don't feel calm. We may, we may be hypervigilant or hyperaroused in situations. We may withdraw and avoid contact and people in situations that maybe we were more apt to get into. And so behavioral changes will actually indicate stress. But again, it lives in our central nervous system. So the more we can do for our bodies and be able to get our bodies to a more regulated place, hopefully the better we're able to deal with the situations and also build up a strength. And this is really where it moves into to help people understand that resilience is all about dealing with stressful situations and becoming stronger to deal with the next stressful situation. And so if we start to look at stress differently and start to realize perhaps if we get into a situation like if we have to give a talk to someone or maybe we have to have a challenging um, talk with someone personally and we start to feel our heart beat faster or maybe we start to perspire or something happens to our bodies, we can change the way we think about what's going on instead of saying, oh my gosh, I have this certain thing coming up and I'm starting to feel nervous or anxious about it. We can change and feel like our bodies are getting ready to meet the challenge. And so my heart is beating faster because I'm getting ready. For instance, if I was getting ready to exercise or do something in sport or maybe do something celebratory, my heart would beat fast in those situations as well. And so we can look at a stressful, so just because our heart's beating fast doesn't mean that has to be a negative thing. And so that's where we re really reframe different things that are happening to us. But it starts out with the central nervous system and really being intentional which then connects our two brains, the brain in our head and the brain in our gut. So I'm curious about how is gut health the same or different than a diet? 
Well, it's actually how we're processing the food. So diet is a piece of the gut health. And so that's kind of a, just a piece of that. But again, how we intake the food, um, the number of times we eat during the day, the metabolism rate of how our body processes the food, um, you know, in terms of helping people, each individual is different. So for some people, eating more times, smaller portions, more times during the day is, is more in tune to their metabolism. For others, it's basically three meals during the day and no snacking. Just taking the snacking piece out of it is, is how they're changing their diet. So diet is a piece of gut health. But it's really just kind of a piece we can focus on, but it's the whole process of eating and how our bodies actually go through the food, break down the nutrients, and then eliminate the food. So it's that entire process which diet is only a piece of. Right. So diet might be the the food, the intake, what you're doing, but the gut health is actually paying attention to the experience, the process, your intentionality behind what you're doing with the food, when you're doing it, how often you're doing it. It's it's the whole package. As you shared, the mind and body connection. Absolutely powerful. So I want to jump into uh, your concept of healthy anger because I thought anger, that's not a good thing. So help, help us understand what is healthy anger and, and how does that play a part in this conversation? Well, many times, as you just mentioned, that anger gives people a perception of something negative. And so, again, just reframing and, and, and re-understanding and processing and, and changing our understanding of anger um, can be helpful in terms of just realizing that anger is an inevitable emotion, just like other emotions. And anger, the way we show anger is a choice. And so for many people, again, you, you mentioned getting in the driver's seat of our emotions. Um, for many people, they feel they're controlled by angry situations and what's happening around them. And so-and-so did this, and this happened to me. And, I, you know, and they feel that their reaction is because of something external that's happening. Changing anger is to understand that it's an inevitable emotion. So we're going to feel angry. We're going to feel that certain something. We're going to, we're going to have a, a negative feeling perhaps arise about something in, in different situations. But it's how we process that and then express the anger. And so when we talk about the healthy anger toolbox is to really understand anger in a different way, understand what's happening in our brains and bodies when we get angry. Angry thinking can really kind of um, send our mind and body into a somewhat in terms of those neurochemicals that are being released and how our bodies are reacting from the brain state shift um, because of how we're perceiving the anger. And if we just look at anger different and do something different in terms of, of how we respond, we can actually change into healthy anger. And as it turns out, healthy anger, a lot of research, a lot of brain research, a lot of relational research Healthy anger can actually make a person feel better and more connected to the people around them after the angry exchange. And that can be a big hmm. That can be, you know, when we think about angry situations that we may have been in recently, a lot of times we feel a little confused or maybe even guilty or regretful if they're, you know, if we got angry with a child or we got angry with someone personally, other somebody close to us, and we might feel we said something or did something while we were angry. 
that make us confused or regretful or feel some sort of emotion. We have the choice of expressing our anger in a different way so that we can feel connected and rewarded and we can feel like we accomplished perhaps uh, a, a deepening of the relationship or even reached a healthier outcome. And so if anger is an individual's choice as how to express the anger, then we just have to empower them with tools to be able to do that. And so, for instance, we suggest a lot of times people will connect anger with aggression or even passive aggression. And so different ways in our experiences of how people express anger can really that belief system of being negative. We, the tools that I help people with are to be more assertive with anger to be able to state feelings in a more neutral way, a more positive way, a more connecting way, rather than um, a more um, perhaps shameful or fearful way. And so, again, we have to slow things down and people have to be held accountable. We actually have anger logs where we take angry situations and we kind of slow things down as to what was a person thinking about before their, their buttons were pushed what that emotion looked like. We have them measure from one to 10 on the emotional scale, what the behavior was after in reacting to the anger. And then we have them what the result, what the feelings and result. And we have them actually slow the process down and be able to impact each part of that angry exchange. They can think about things differently. They can emotionally react differently, behave differently. And what we see is if, if it was an eight, if a certain situation ranked an eight, and it moves down to a seven or a six, that's how we measure progress, is to really understand that people can really start to take control of their anger and change the way they're expressing it. This is um, an opportunity for uh, individuals who have even possibly been shaming themselves for being angry, recognizing that ang as I listen to you, Anger is, is an emotion, but we have the choice, going back to your earlier statement, of standing in our power. We have the choice on how we respond to the anger, but it sounds like, based on what we've been talking about, we have to be willing to slow down and look at the anger as opposed to shun it or say, I just don't want to be angry, which is actually impossible. As human beings, it's an emotion, uh, something that we say when we're uh, working with classroom teachers is that all, um, emo all emotions are okay, but all behaviors are not. And so recognizing it's an emotion but how do you slow the process down to look at it more closely as opposed to just saying, I don't want to feel that way? And really, again, it's an accountability because people handle and perceive anger differently. So um, someone has to be willing to go there to really slow things down. Because like, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of a lot of belief systems around anger are that people aren't in control of what's happening. A lot of it's the external things that are happening that's causing them to feel a certain something. And the other thing that we share is that anger is a secondary emotion. It's usually um, on top of another emotion. And, and really, when someone's becoming angry, we're seeing that 
that that outward expression of anger to really try to figure out what's going on underneath and what's what else are they feeling? Are they feeling frustrated, disappointed, um, shame? There's all sorts of underlying emotions that then move into anger, and so it, it, it it's, it's rather complex. And again, for, like you mentioned, some people don't even want to really unpack that. You know, anger is this big thing that kind of just a, like a cloud over their head type of a thing. But to realize that we all, we all face angry situations and we can stand in our power and handle those differently. So can you explain to us uh, what is a stress coach? We've heard life coach before. We've heard, you know, what is a stress coach? Well, stress, unfortunately, for many people prevents them from really living their best life. And really, it, it, it prevents joy and happiness. And for me, I, I've, when I was able to change my stress, I was able to actually break out with amazing moments and actually long, longer periods of time than I ever expected of experiencing joy and happiness. Because of the thoughts that used to ruminate in my head, I could be at what would seem like a very happy celebratory occasion and still not be able to get there because of my thoughts and, what, and the story that I was telling myself. And so just being able to change that stress for myself put me in a position to understand about joy and happiness. And so a lot of times when I get together with someone and realize that, and stress can, is kind of a big word. It can be specifically anger. It can specifically be self-care, someone who works a lot during the day and, and may be a giver and, you know, maybe a parent and they're a community member and there's a lot of people, you know, taking their time and them focused on things. And a lot of times that's an anti-stress strategy of being so busy and so involved. Mm -hmm. And so to help people realize that they can live a better life or their best life and to really talk about hopes and dreams and really focus in on the, their why of life, their purpose and what they really want to see for themselves. And that joy and happiness a lot of times can really be shrouded by the stress, be kind of hindered by the stress. And so to be able to change stress and help people change that process of how they're perceiving it can be very empowering and certainly rewarding to help people get to that joy and happiness. A stress coach allowing you to tap into the joy and happiness you should have access to, but stress is blocking you from. Wow. So I can't tell you how um, encouraging and supportive this conversation has been. And we're already at the end of our hour. And wow. it has been joyful. And with the last minute that we have, can you again tell people how they can connect with you, how they can find you, as well as I believe you have a subscription process that people can log into um, and stay connected. Yes. Again, so grateful, Dr. Jackson, that we we're able to have this conversation. Thank you so very much. Again, I encourage people to come visit me at healthyangertoolbox.com. A lot of, if you sign up and, and subscribe, you get a lot of healthy anger tools, some free information, videos, and a lot of support. Thank you, Marty. Uh, and thank you for those who have logged in. And I hope you feel encouraged and affirmed that it actually is okay to slow down and pay attention to your stress because if you change your stress, you'll change your life. Log in again, same time, same place next week. 
We appreciate you. Thanks for logging in. Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Thank you for tuning in to Living Strong, the flip side of adversity. Please join your host, Dr. Veerdra Jackson, for another edition of our show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.